Uh, greetings, friends. It's Chapo coming at you Thursday, October 21st, 2021. We've got uh, me and Matt for you today. Uh, Felix is uh, traveling at the moment, but fear not. Our good friend Trevor Strunk is in the house, host of No Cartridge and author of the new Story Mode, video games and the interplay between consoles and culture. Trevor, what's up? Hey, Will. Not much. How, how are you? Uh, we're doing good. I want to. I, I, w- I will be talking about the book because for anyone who's interested, uh, I, the, the book is essentially annotations for everything Felix has been talking about on the show for the last three or four years. <laughs> yeah, you can so read the Metal Gear chapter. The, <laughs> yeah, it'll be very helpful. What the fuck Felix has been talking about? I highly recommend uh, Story Mode. We will be talking Metal Gear Solid. We will be talking Fortnite. Doom, Dark Souls, and just uh, what it all means for the for the culture. But uh, before we get into that, uh, let's talk a little politics, gentlemen. Are you ready to wade into the uh, the newsish news stories of the day? Mm. Oh yeah, always. Uh, this I, I just want to bring this one up to the top of my show because uh, I I just read it and uh, it's a headline uh, New York Times: A thirty-year campaign to control drug prices faces yet another failure. Democrats have made giving government the power to negotiate drug prices a central campaign theme for decades. With the power to make it happen, they may fall short yet again. God damn it. Oh, Uh, it's probably because we didn't donate enough. I keep getting those emails and I'm just. uh. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're right. Trevor, I got I got a text message last night and they were like, we're just fifteen dollars short of allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices. Please, can you kick in? You left it on red. This. (laughs) I was like, I got to watch Squid Game. (laughs) Oh, fuck. All right. Well, I mean, this is by uh, Jonathan Wiseman of the Times, and it's just uh, seeming to, to, to look into the idea of, like, the Democrats have, you know, they've been campaigning on this issue for 30 years. Now they control the government, but they're going to flub it. As he says, they're going to flub it once again. And I just, I want to know why. Well, why, why is the case? It would seem to be a win-win for them to get this passed. But uh, he, he, the article begins, when a powerful Democratic Senate chairman assembled his special committee on aging to confront what he called a crisis of affordability for prescription drugs, he proposed a novel solution, allow the government to negotiate better deals for critical medications. The year was 1989, and the idea from that chairman, former Senator David Pryor of Arkansas, touched off a drive for government drug price negotiations that has been embraced by two generations of Democrats and one Republican president, Donald J. Trump, but now appears at risk of being left out of a sprawling domestic policy bill taking place in Congress. I mean, uh, is it fair to describe the bill as it, it currently stands as sprawling? It's sprawling all over the place. It's man spreading <laughs> is what it's doing. It's kind of sprawling in the way that you would describe like a um, a development or a subdivision is sprawling. Like you keep turning and you get lost because all the streets look the same, but it's really just like, you know, like an acre. <laughs> a lot of cul-de-sacs. Yeah, a lot yeah, of cul-de-sacs. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, senior Democrats insist that they have not given up the push to grant Medicare broad powers to negotiate lower drug prices as part of a once ambitious climate change and social safety net bill that is slowly shrinking in scope. They know that the loss of the provision promoted by President Biden on the campaign trail and in the White House could be particularly embarrassing defeat for the package since it has been central to Democratic congressional campaigns for nearly three decades. Guys, I... If 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 they don't get this prescription drug thing in this bill, it's going to be so embarrassing for the Democrats. Would not want to be in their shoes right now. I mean, how? Oh man, how do you think they're going to deal with the embarrassment? They're definitely going to 
in their next batch of ads for the midterms, they're going to come clean to be like, look, we have no intention of lowering prescription drug, drug prices. They're going to finally have to come clean with people. I think they're kind of, um, I think they're going to finally say that, uh, you know, we have a lot of these ideas. There are policies, but we have these lobbyists in our ears. It's really important that we get our money for our, our campaigns. You know, it's just, it's so hard for Joe Manchin to do this if he's not like, you know, also supposed to run for reelection in uh, never. Uh, so, like, you know, they're going to that's probably going to be how they handle it. I think transparency. So it says here. Uh, it's not dead, declared Representative Richard E. Neal of Massachusetts, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, you might remember uh, Chairman Richard E. Neal from uh, retaining his seat on the House Ways and Means Committee and winning the election by essentially lying. <laughs> by essentially, uh, I don't know, uh, what, what do you call it? Like a chicken hawk shaming Richard Morris by attempting to imply that him uh, asking to get drinks with a 30-year-old that represented some sort of grooming habit on his behalf as an openly gay man. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also a top contribute a, a top recipient of pharmaceutical company donations in Congress. It says here, um, after so many campaign trail promises, Democrats could be could be left next year with a lot of it. You got that's got a lot of explaining to do, Democrats. Uh, it would mean that ph the pharmaceutical industry, which has fifteen hundred paid lobbyists, the, the pharmaceutical industry, which has fifty made fifty billion dollars in profits last year, the pharmaceutical industry, which pays its executive huge compensation packages and which is spending hundreds of millions of dollars to defeat this legislation, will have won. Senator Bernie Sanders, the Vermont Independent and Budget Committee chairman, said on Wednesday. And I intend not to allow that to happen. Bernie, I, I love you, buddy. But um, it, it does seem to me, by like giving quotes like this to the New York Times, it does seem to me like, like, and also like being in charge of shepherding this awful bill, it does seem to me like he is, for one reason or another, playing a role for the Democratic Party, which is to give people the impression that they really want this bill to pa pass. He has been buckbroken. That's all there is to it. <laughs> and why not? I mean, it's a he, he he got his ass kicked. He got he got murked by a party that is still able to unite against a left threat in a way it can't do to anything else. And in the, he's 80 years old in the Senate. I guess he wants to go out feeling like he helps somebody afford medicine or something. And that's nice, but that's nice for him. I, I don't really blame him for it, but at the same time. I'm not going to get too invested in any of this uh, congressional drama because we know who runs the party. They showed it. They showed what they were willing to do to keep control of it. And there's no reason to believe they're going to change their approach to legislation now, especially since with Trump still around, they will be able to fundraise and uh, gather votes for eternity as the backstop against civilizational destruction is the only alternative to fascism. They don't have to actually deliver anything if that's what they're there to do. Uh, Jonathan Wiseman on Twitter uh, sharing his own article says, uh, Democrats appear ready to fumble the ball at the goal line. Failure would be akin to the GOP's flubbing a repeal of Obamacare after so many promises. And it's like, I wonder, does Jonathan, can Jonathan Wiseman put two and two together in his head? Because like it is very identical to the GOP's failure to repeal Obamacare in that they didn't want to repeal Obamacare. And the Democrats don't want to negotiate lower prescription drug prices. 
Uh, to proponents, defeat after defeat speaks solely to the power of the pharmaceutical industry and its attendant lobbyists. But opponents say it reflects the complexity of the issue. Advanced countries with fixed government purchase prices have seen access to medicines constrained, either by drug companies or by governments that choose their preferred medications. That could lead to a repeat of the political problems faced after the passage of the Affordable Care Act, when President Barack Obama's promise that if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor proved to be untrue. Medicare recipients could find prescriptions that, have that they have long taken suddenly unavailable. If anyone thinks that this is an easy political route for me, that's just laughable, said Mr. Peters, who endured scorn and pressure from his Democratic colleagues, but whose San Diego district includes almost 1,000 biotechnology companies and 68,000 jobs directly tied to pharmaceutical work. Mr. Schrader and Mr. Peters said the House version of prescription drug price controls tucked into the broader social policy legislation would stifle innovation in one of the country's most profitable global industries. So as you see here, it's... um. I mean, he's he's bearing a big political price for this, you know, because, I mean, he can continue to be a congressman because the people who give him money to be a congressman will uh, he won't anger them. But uh, but his voters, who are also work for the pharmaceutical industry, um, will be mad at him as well. And even if they didn't, what is some insurgent going to say? Oh, he voted against X, Y and Z in what a bunch of fucking pamphlets they mail to people's houses or of a commercial that like only goes on YouTube or something. Meanwhile, he's able to just throw that bankroll out there to remind people of how he's fighting for working class families. And everybody goes, Oh yeah, I recognize him. I, I voted for him last time. And then they just do again. Yeah. I mean, and like the, the funny thing about like what Bernie said and what, what's being said there is like this idea of like the complex issue or like what we're, what, what we'd say if like, you know, Oh, you know, if we, if we let this happen then the pharmaceutical companies have won, like it's just such a dodge where like the idea becomes like yeah okay we'll uh we'll make it obvious that on some level uh uh we're not already living in like uh, a corporate state right like like the, the the idea that the pharmaceutical company would be able to veto this bill like at any point is like is only fictional for people who like hear that and say like oh this isn't just theater this is like these people are being very very serious about how hard this is for them and like what a, you know how many how many nights they're staying up thinking like how can i how can i balance the need of the corporate with the the need of my poor poor you know the constituents like it 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 truly like it, it feels like more than any time really that i can remember uh, uh democratic politics it feels like like absolute theater um, and they know it's absolute theater and the people who are reading it know it's absolute theater. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like Jonathan Wiseman seems to be the only one who doesn't know this theater, but I mean, that's why he works for the political press and not the business press. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. have to have, you have to have like, you have to be this tall uh, and under to work for the political press basically. Like, <laughs> no, they, 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 it's like, a, it's just like with cops. Like if you get do too well on the intelligence test, you can't get the job. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I, I could go further in this article, but like, I mean, there's, there's really no point, though. I mean, it just seems to be whether it's this, uh, infrastructure or social infrastructure or budget bill. I mean, it just uh, it doesn't seem like there's really anything in there that's worth voting for at all. So, like, I mean, I, I don't know, like if you're Bernie or whatever, just let this one die. Yeah. Like, I just there, there's nothing there worth doing. And it, like, even if like, oh, like, oh, it'll it'll fill a few potholes or whatever. Like, is it? Is it worth getting tagged for what will eventually like uh, be the case, which is just like another Obamacare, which takes like our already like threadbare, meager fucking welfare state or like whatever services that are like provided by the government will just become ever more complex and annoying to deal with? Well, Democrats are obsessed with this idea of like, um, like, I don't know. I don't know how. Uh, I mean, I know that that uh, Will, you're a big time Yankees fan. 
Um, Number one, New you York. Love the, you love the Yanks. The captain, um, Jeter. And, and I know that Matt, you're, you 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 follow Wisconsin sports like uh, like no one else. Um, there's this idea in sports where you can kind of kick the can down the road, right? Like you 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 sign someone really expensive, and then uh, your budget's messed up, and you're like, well, okay, but my budget will be messed up in 2026. Right. Like I'll, I'll kick the can down the road and win this year. The Democrats have been obsessed with this, like this concept just backwards where they kick the can in the current year. And then they say like two years down the road, we're going to be great. Like, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast or not, but my dad ran for state representative in 1992 uh, PA and he ran with a $1,500 budget, uh, probably further left than anyone wanted to vote for at that time, even though he's, you know, up until recently has been a fairly bog standard Democrat. Um, and got closer than anyone else has to winning the race against Ray Bunt, the current incumbent. And the PA Democratic Party says, yeah, you know, uh, they, they invite him down. And they say, like, OK, you're going to lose this race. Um, but what we want you to do is lose this race so you can win a race down the road in two years. And my father, uh, intelligent man that he is, decided that that sounded stupid and dropped out of politics. But like, I mean, that's the Democratic Party, though. That's 1992 and it's 2021. Uh, at the same time, it's, you know, we will lose today to win tomorrow. Um, but then when tomorrow comes, we lose again. It's been three decades of a rebuilding year. For right. Exactly. Party. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean like, uh, not, not much more to, that, to talk about that article. It's just, it's just on my head. It's like the, it's the perfect, uh, the, the perfect representation of where uh, everything is in our politics. Uh, Joe Biden is getting nothing done. In, in, but the thing is, he doesn't even want to. Like, it, well, it, it, the thing it, is, that, is that it doesn't matter if anyone wants it or not, because there is no, there is no party preference other than keeping out the left, which is a re- because that actually uh, it, it lights up everybody within the structures uh, instincts in the same direction and, and organizes their their um, preferences around one goal. Without that, there is no disciplining any individual member of honestly either caucus. The, the, the parties have dissolved as meaningful uh containers of ideology or uh, agenda of any kind. The, 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 all you have are 535 individual political entrepreneurs who are operating off of their own specific uh, short-term interests, self-conceived interests, mostly in order to like get a fucking OnlyFans or something out of it uh, or a, a lobbying gig or something. Uh, and with no institutional investment whatsoever, like this bill would be very good for Democrats to pass and all that stuff. Like, like, yeah, you might lose money from the pharmaceutical industry if you did cut prescription drug prices significantly, but you would also presumably be able to benefit at the polls for doing that. But there can be no, given the current structure of the parties, there can be no long-term, even medium-term planning strategy or action. There is only the short term best uh, self-interest of the individual uh, members of Congress. And if that's the only presiding orienting uh, agenda, then nothing will get done. Nothing can get done. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just uh, sounds sound, sound like a, a broken record again on this show. But uh, just like uh, that article, I just like. It's astonishing to me that anyone still pretends that the Democrats want to lower prescription drug prices or like it's just. Well, it doesn't. That's the thing is that there is no want. There's no Democrats, you know, like there is no institutional uh, agenda like that. There is that doesn't exist like that is the greater fraud. It's not even the fraud of like 
pretending that they have specific desires. It's pretending that they actually have any desires at all. That's the fraud. But without that lie, without that assumed uh, fantasy to operate from, it's almost impossible to write political journalism that adheres to a narrative of ideology and doesn't just talk about vested interests and uh, money, which the whole point of the political journalistic uh, genre is to elide that fact and to find something else to talk about. Well, you essentially have you essentially have like lobbyists on top of lobbyists there, right? Like, because like if 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 Jonathan Wiseman burned everyone by saying like, yeah, it's all about money, like uh, you know, the, the Nancy Pelosi has how much money at this point, and and I, that doesn't come from voting against her corporate interests. Jonathan Wiseman would lose all his contacts, right? Like Jonathan Wiseman would not be able to be a political reporter anymore. Um, would have to report from the outside. But also, if everybody did that, they would also lose their audience because that's boring to <laughs> yeah, watch. Yeah. That's not. That's not why people pay attention to political news. They want the story. They want the villains and the heroes. Fanfic, yeah. They want the narrative. They want to feel like they're on the inside of a house of cards. They don't want to be told that these decisions are all made in corporate boardrooms. It's, it's fucking boring. Like okay. everybody's incentive, the, the audience for this and the people who make up the press is to maintain this kayfabe. Given, given that that's the case, and that people want an exciting narrative, they want heroes and villains, and uh, they, want to li- they want to essentially live in another form of virtual reality. That's right. I'm talking about video games. Let's talk about something fun and interesting and not more of the same political bullshit. Uh, Trevor just wrote a book about video games, and I'd like to uh, uh, start out by talking about another uh, New York Times article that is, uh, is related to video games. Assassin's Creed has a new mission, working in the classroom. History has long served as a backdrop in the Assassin's Creed video games, whose storylines center on pivotal times in history, from the Third Crusade to Imperial China and beyond. But when players of this Ubisoft series rush from mission to mission as agents of events both great and small, their purpose is rarely to take time to appreciate history itself. Duty always calls. Until now. Following the last year's, following last year's release of Assassin's Creed Origins, set in Ptolemaic Egypt, the team behind it decided to, that allowing players to learn more about life in ancient Egypt might make for a pretty cool teaching aid. So they traded the quests and violence for antiquities and history lessons and created a mode with a series of discovery tours. By putting history front and center, the game may give teachers a new way to connect with some students. So have we finally caught up to the Simpsons joke about, um, Lisa, you'll be, uh, I'm Genghis Khan, you'll eat who I eat, defile who I defile. <laughs> I'm just really glad that public schools are finally going to be talking about the eternal war between the Templars and the assassins. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that important. The, it defines all world history. I think it's nice that kids are going to have to uh, grapple with Ubisoft's completely illogical and crazy idea to keep that uh, the, the like the the frame story about like the virtual reality machine in there. Like, I, I think that's good. I think it's like in an English class, you can ask who who thought this was a good idea. Like, why why aren't we just following the assassins? And kids are going to have to answer that. And that's important. Like uh, Ubisoft, Ubisoft gives a lot um, just from one one small uh, seed. So, I mean, it, it, is the is the, the 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 framing device? I mean, so that this 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 centuries long battle between Templars and assassins is that essentially what the Assassin's Creed games are about? It's literally what they're about. Yeah, Matt Matt hit it on the head. Yeah, it's like it's it's all it's about. You you play as the assassins and you fight against the Templars. I mean, in, in fairness, so like 
the one thing to say about the Assassin's Creed games is they do paint a sort of like fun, immersive historical vision, which is like the the thing anyone will say is fun about them, right? When they when they go bad, they're they're bad because that doesn't work. When they're good, like in Assassin's Creed 2 when it's in Italy, it's really fun because it feels like okay, like I'm I'm here with the Medici's and like the Borgias and stuff like that. Like this is this is really the you know the warring states period or whatever. But yeah, I mean, at the backdrop, it's all just assassins versus Templars, which I mean is the, what the history is based on. What 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 is what are their goals? I mean, this basically goals. just sounds like a ripoff of the Illuminatus trilogy. I mean, it is. It it's pure Dan Brown, right? Like it's it's just like this is just you know the assassins are on the side of good and the Templars are on the side of evil. You know, the assassins want to, you know, if you want to know the the plot of any Ubisoft game, just imagine the most sort of bland liberal uh, uh, ideology that you can. And that's the plot of the Ubisoft game where like the bad guys are going to be against the spread of information. The good guys are going to be for the spread of information within certain bounds. And so the assassins have a pretty good idea of what they want. The Templars uh, don't want anyone to know the real history of things. And so you fight them through time. Um, But like, I don't know, like the point, the point of the Assassin's Creed games has always been like, yeah, you get to be in these, wonderful it, it's uh it, you know it's it's the it's the old navy uh um bumper sticker you used to see like go to exotic places and kill everyone in them like it's you know that's that's the whole point it's 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 completely uh it's completely sadistic um do you ever smoke weed uh hash yes, before going hashishin. out to murk people no do you no. get sucked off in the in the garden in Ismail that, no. Hassi, the uh, hassan's garden i mean maybe you get sucked off in the later ones i don't know the viking one you might get sucked off i could see it I like so the thing about the Assassin's Creed games too is like the they're 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 absolutely focused on the Ubisoft model, which is like Ubisoft makes games where it's just a Skinner box, and I mean most games are, but like there's so much a Skinner box where like you basically go from tower to tower and open up the map, and then within the map there's little missions, and you go do those missions, and then like you know you get little dopamine hits as you do it, and you get little currency points so your assassin's better, right? That seems to be like a like an openly terrible way to teach history. To be like like go to all these waypoints and like figure out what it is. Like open up the map and figure out who Leonardo da Vinci is. Um, <laughs> not to mention that like you run into Karl Marx in like one of them, and he's like, "Hey, is he is he on the side of the assassins or the Templars?" Though that's a good question. I think he's sort of like a, a, a he's like Leonardo da Vinci in that like he's also in the games. Um, in that he sort of. <laughs> He kind of exists He's also in the a shadows, video game and character. you help him. Yeah. You help these great men through history to keep their keep their uh, things going on. And Karl Marx eventually just like kind of decides that maybe he's being a little too extreme, right? Um, <laughs> so like, yeah, no, it's like it, it absolutely is. Like, it's it's just you know, you're an assassin. You help these great men through history, and you keep unlocking stuff. It like it is every bad impulse in historical in historicism. Um, that you could possibly want just like in a video game. Well, you say, I, that. I don't know if you could like unlock skins of different historical <laughs> figures for your avatar to wear. That might be, that could be, uh, uh, educational. Yeah. No, I, I'd like, I, I would say like, you know, what you got to do is like, if you want to teach about Egyptian history, you get Ramses the second in Fortnite, And at that point, like then people are going to be invested in learning about it. Like you have to read like seven articles to get the Ramsey skin. Like kids are going to do that. You have to do a lot of farming to build one of those pyramids. That's all I got to <laughs> say. Uh, but I mean, like you, you say it, uh, this is bad history, but like, I'm just glad uh, students at any age 
we'll be exposed to the idea that uh, nothing is true, everything is permitted. I love, I love that. Like at the core of the Assassin's Creed games is this like Levian Satanism. Like <laughs> it's just like the left hand path for like uh, teens. Very good stuff. Like I hope, I hope this like this ushers at a whole new level of like blood and sex magic uh, in in our schools. Just like also that. sugar. Let's yeah. throw some sugar in there. Look, I mean, but let's do it under a bridge. If we're gonna go all ketos, we might as well. Yeah. Uh, they talked to a, a, middle, a middle school teacher at Intermediate School 230 in Jackson Heights, Queens, who said there could be tremendous value in it for both students and educators, particularly for students who might test as primary visual, auditory, or kinesthetic learners. For those students, she added, exposing them to different lear- a, a different learning vehicle is always beneficial. Uh, she also said she understands the importance of games to her students and has even used Oregon Trail as a teaching tool. Now, gentlemen, I know we're all about the same age. Did you remember playing Oregon Trail? And oh, yeah. oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, did you did you learn anything from it? Learn dysentery uh, was a big problem. I, le- <laughs> yeah, I, I learned that everyone died of shitting I themselves. I learned it's very easy to shoot buffalo. Yeah. I will say that that is actual like when you under, when when they try to explain like how how the quote West was won and how the Plains Indians were subdued. The ease of murdering a buffalo was key to that. Like you got people who could just shoot them on the back of moving trains and stuff. Uh, so I did learn that it is incredibly easy to kill a buffalo. Mm-hmm. Very hard to kill a squirrel. Very easy to kill a buffalo. It's also very tempting to take your whole family across like uh, the the vast wasteland of the American West and like not look back like you. You know, that's the one thing I learned is why all those people died, because once you're once you're in, you're like, well, I'm in like, I'm not going to go back. This is a sunk cost. You know, I'm like, I bought how uh, many axles and every single person who tried to ford a river died. (laughs) That's one thing I know. That's why they started building bridges is because literally (laughs) everyone who ever tried to ford a river drowned. People just put the card on and pushed it across. I mean, I guess I, I remember another, like, uh, I guess a semi-historically accurate feature of Oregon Trail is in the hunting mode, Matt, like you were saying, where you could just, like, blow away a buffalo. You could keep doing it until you killed, like, 50 buffalo, and they'd be like, you could only take, like, a couple hundred pounds of meat back to the tra- yeah. back to the trail, and then you just leave a a wasteland of fucking a yeah. wasteland, which is how we converted. Uh, I think at the time the single largest biomass on the planet, which is the uh, plains American bison, into like by the beginning of the twentieth century, almost totally extinct. That's yeah. American excellence. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, yeah. So, video games are teaching kids about uh, 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 famous historical assassinations and how you know. Uh, the secret levers that move history, which are the Knights Templar and the Illuminati, but it's I mean, an amazing all... thought. Like, like you're going to teach kids that it's like uh, it's canon now that like you know various popes were killed by assassins because like in Assassin's Creed Two, you kill a pope, like or a cardinal at least. Like, hell yeah, that's like that's some that's some like I feel like the back the back door into people being like obsessed with stuff like QAnon is not you know like. Oh, I saw a video by Ben Shapiro. It's like playing a game like Assassin's Creed and being like, is this all true? Like, is, this all, is this all right? <laughs> Just encouraging. That seems like a risky plan. Well, uh, moving on from uh, uh, the classroom to uh, uh, the book itself. I mean, let's mm. talk about another 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 major area, like, you know, a, a major zone of of learning in which our kids are now learning. I'm talking about Fortnite. <laughs> Uh, Trevor, you, uh, you, you write in the, in the introduction of the book, uh, you, you, you bring up the, an article you wrote in the outline uh, titled Fortnite Could Only Exist in a World That's Running Out of Resources. 
Uh, could could you elaborate on uh, how Fortnite <laughs> how Fortnite uh, puts the lie to the idea of um, just un, uh, like a, a, a post scarcity society? And also, how do you connect Fortnite to the um, sort of experimental English novel Tristram Shandy? Oh well, okay. I don't remember exactly how I do it, but I can do it again. Um, so, like, you know, I got a lot of flack for this article when I wrote it, um, probably because it was out of the outline, um, where a lot of weird stuff came out of uh, R.I.P. to the outline, I suppose. Um, but, uh, you know, like one of the things I meant to say about it is like, we have this massive, like outpour of, of these, um, battle royale games where like literally you're dropped on a map with a hundred other people. Your job is to be the last one standing or the last team standing in the case of like something like apex legends. Um, and as time goes on, you have to collect resources in order to be able to survive. And the map closes in on us natural disasters wipe out the rest of the map or government interference in the case of, you know, whatever other games uh, wipe out the map. So like, you know, in Fortnite, it's the storm. Uh, you have to keep going in to avoid the storm in PUBG, a player on un- unknown's battleground. You have to keep moving in because there's this blue taser material that will kill you if you stay outside of the circle. And ultimately there's like one spot for one person to be in and you kill everyone else in order to live there. Um, now, people said I was reading too much into it. I think that's pretty obviously something that is born out of, like, maybe in the sort of, like, you know, uh, uh, the classical subconscious of, uh, you know, common subconscious or whatever, uh, collective unconscious, sorry, um, where, like, uh, you know, like everyone is worried about being the last person standing and having to, like, you know, scrounge when when uh, when they're like when their tasties aren't at the supermarket or whatever, and uh, and these games just seem to be like obsessed with this, right? Like like there's nothing more uh, to our current moment and to our current moment in the last like ten years, worrying about climate change, worrying about supply chains, worrying about like now with the pandemic, worrying about that, like uh, dropping on a map, chopping up something, gathering wood, and building a little hovel for ourselves so someone can't shoot us, right? Um, so, I mean, that was basically where I was going with, with Fortnite. Like it really is like, it's a post scarcity game, right? Like it's, it's a game that is like obsessed with this idea of, um, there's not enough stuff. Um, which as we know is like, is not true. Like there's plenty of stuff. It's actually getting it to places. That's the problem. It's um, also building a giant deck very quickly. <laughs> from what I understand. <laughs> don't, who, does anyone play Fortnite anymore? I don't know. I wrote that. I know Felix doesn't. Ago. I, I, I think, I, I think it's still quite popular. Anymore. It keeps releasing. So I keep getting stuff from Epic games that tells me about the new Fortnite uh, stuff. And it's like, let me see if I can pull it up. Like the one was like Fortnite nightmares where there was like this, like devil queen in Fortnite now, or like, I know they had the, uh, the one Ryan Reynolds character from that movie. Uh, free guy was a character in Fortnite. They just did, they just did a, a Dune Fortnite. They're, okay, they're now yeah. Dune, Dune is available on Fortnite. There are sandworms in the game now. You can play at, uh, you know, uh, Paul Atreides. They love spending um, money over there. I yeah. mean, Tencent loves spending money. Um, um, and then uh, also the uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. That was that was also in Fortnite. <laughs> well, so you could, you could I mean, attend his famous... Talk about teaching history to our kids, Yeah. Right? Yeah. But like you could you could you could experience these moments in history, but not as a Templar, not not as an assassin <laughs> or a Templar. You can experience it as, let's say, uh, Rick from Rick and Morty or the Xenomorph from Alien. Yeah, that's important. I mean, I think one of the things that's keeping us from really understanding the importance of the civil rights era is um, the fact that we can't picture Rick um, as part of it. You know, like we see him as 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 uh, separate from it. And if we were watching Rick and Morty, understanding he went through the '60s and had a position on Martin Luther King. I think that would be much more powerful. 
but I back to uh, back to back to back Tristram to, Shandy um, <laughs> c- confounding an exper- satirical experimental novel Tristram Shandy Trevor <laughs> t- speak on Tristram Shandy and how it relates to uh, Fortnite so one of the things that I did in the book uh, and I, I always say like my my agent and my publisher were probably like really mad at me for this but one of the things I did in the book was I I tied the the history of video games or like the, the, the sort of incipients of video games to the history of the novel. And like part of this, actually I have to credit to, to, to you, Matt, like one of the things that was most challenging to me has always been your critique of video games, right? Like as like these sort of like pointless, you know, bread and circus kind of things. Right. Um, which like in a lot of ways they are like, you're not wrong. Um, but there's also this like level at which like the, the incipients of video games as a medium mirrors like the way that the novel came about because you have a bunch of people looking at these things and saying like, these are deviant like objects. Like people shouldn't be looking at them. They should be reading in the case of video games. They should be reading novels instead, or in the case of novels, they should be reading poetry instead. Um, It's the same with like photography, right? Like people see when photography first came out, people were like, well, this will never be art. Right. Cause it's just like, it's just a representation of the world. There's no interpretation. Um, same with film. Like it, it's not, it's, it's not even a claim. It's just like a historical fact. Like when new mediums come out, it, it, you get these sort of like tensions with people who, who appreciated the old mediums and don't see a way that the new medium can kind of exist. Um, and so uh, um, daringly uh, my book does not make a claim about whether or not video games will ever be art. Uh, but it does, um, it does act. It has some bravery in that it says, um, Video games are in the position that novels once were, right? Where like Tristram Shandy, uh, Tom Jones. I don't know. Has anyone in the chat read Tom Jones? Has anyone done the reading this week? Uh, I've seen the movie with Albert Finney. Okay, good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's a it's a weird book, man. Like it it's fun, um, but every section starts with this like uh, like it's it's basically Henry Fielding, the author, spending I don't know like three thousand words saying like, I promise you, this is a cool thing I'm writing. Like what I'm writing is like, it's, it's a poem, but it's a novel, but it's a book, but it's a story, but it's a, a journal article. Like, I promise it's going to be really cool. And every time you just like, it's basically like someone who you see on Twitter constantly saying like, yeah, you know, like I promise this is getting somewhere guys. I know that this is weird, but it's going to be cool. Um, he has that at the beginning of every one. And Shandy's the same way, except, uh, Tristram Shandy's much more Lawrence Stern is much more, um, confident. Um, and neither really look like novels as we'd expect them to look, but they're both sort of the first versions of it. But in Tristram Shandy, there's kind of like a hypertext to yeah. it as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's like, or like an early form of like hypertext. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, Tristram Shandy is a version of like what we can see if we look kind of like if we squint right at, at current video games. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, so like uh, to, to explain Tristram Shandy first, like Tristram Shandy for anyone who hasn't read it is like an absolutely brilliant book. Um, I think it's actually pretty legible to current audiences, but I, I can understand why people aren't super interested in it. It's like 600 pages long, but it's a story about, it's the story about how Tristram Shandy was, well, supposed to be the story of Tristram Shandy's life. But the joke of the book is that you never actually get to the point of Tristram Shandy's conception. He keeps trying to describe when his uh, father knocked up his mom um, and never gets to it. He can't get to it. And like to the point where like he's like he's saying like, yeah, you know, she was probably distracted when he like 
he shot it in like and it, it, that like that made me weird like that kind of stuff happens but it never gets there so it's this history that never starts right it's very meta that way like the first nine seasons of how i met your mother there you go yep <laughs> it is it is you know it's a it's sort of a um a vulgar version of how i met your mother i think that's a really good way of looking at it yeah um but <laughs> the uh like video games i was thinking about it when you were when we were talking about assassin's creed like there's this video game that's really interesting called uh, Cart Life, which is about – it's a free game if anyone wants to play it. But it's about basically having a food cart and, like, trying to survive. And the whole game is about how, like, deeply impossible it is to survive and, like, make your living based on a food cart. It's basically a, a, a game about failing. And what's so interesting about Cart Life is, is the same thing that's interesting about Tristram Shandy in that, like, they're both emergent texts. What's actually interesting about them is probably not going to be appreciated by like the people who are reading them at the time. Like no one is going out to play a triple A game is going to like enjoy playing cart life, right? Like it's not super interesting or like outer wilds, another game where like the exploration and the sort of unwrapping of the thing is the interesting part. That's never going to be as popular as something like Assassin's Creed, which gives you instructions in the same way. It's not going to be as popular as Tom Jones, which, which gives you a roadmap or, uh, uh, Clarissa, which which also like it's a series of letters. Uh, Samuel Richardson she writes a series it all. of letters. Yeah, <laughs> damn it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, like it 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 is like Shandy in a lot of ways represents the sort of promise for video games, and that like it is an emergent text. There's something going on there. There's an awareness of the medium, right? And like that actual awareness of the medium is what I find so interesting about current video games. That like they've been around long enough that there's a series of expectations and norms, sorry, uh, that exist uh, within the genre that people can either replicate or satirize or write against or comment upon. I mean, just like uh, uh, back, back to Fortnite for a second. I mean, you talked about like uh, just th- th- this, this post scarcity world where it's just like it's the most popular game among kids. And it's just like you're all dropped onto an island and you basically <laughs> uh, kill each other until there's one person left. And, yeah. you, and, the, and the people you're killing are, you know, they could be bots. They could be uh, just someone across the world. But a lot of times they're your friends, too. You want to kill your sure. friends or team up with your friends to kill other people. Obviously. This is, I mean, like, uh, I mean, just like in, in recent culture, this is the plot of Squid Game. Squid Game is essentially Fortnite, the TV show, and yeah, it is sure. now the most popular, the most popular streaming show of all time. But, um, I, I mean, are 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 these texts? I mean, uh, 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 Squid Game is, of course, uh, uh, you know, like it's it, it's sort of a subversive narrative. But like, are are, are these texts in some way uh, preparing this current generation for a future of uh, scavenging and killing their friends to survive? Yeah, super interesting because, like, you know, I feel on some level that that is the anxiety beyond – sorry to sound so academic, but it's, like, the anxiety behind their production, right? Um, You know, it's something that exists where, like, you create something like Squid Game or you you create something like Fortnite in the back of your mind because you're thinking to yourself, wow, like, in the future – this is going to be something where people are fighting for resources. Like the, the sort of like ur text in some ways of these battle Royale games is either uh, Lord of the flies or um, the, the movie and manga uh, battle Royale, which is just that the, the concept it's, it's uh, the hunger games before the hunger games. Right. But like, I'm not so sure that they actually serve as educational text so much as they serve as like these demonstrations of how, we can take the the lessons of like an anti-capitalist or an anti-consumerist text and turn them into, you know, rules for living our lives uh, as a capitalist or a consumerist. Like, so like, I don't, I don't know if you, you saw that tweet where it was like the, the, the uh, like Ethereum guy or the, it was some sort of, some sort of crypto guy um, saying like, 
yeah, uh, Squid Game made nine hundred, you know, million dollars or whatever. Um, but if you invested, you know, a thousand dollars of uh, Bitcoin in nineteen ninety eight, you would have made more. And like, <laughs> there, it's not like that. That isn't lost on the audience, right? Like the audience when they're watching Squid Game, like a lot of people are trying to figure out how they could win that game. Or like, uh, there's an anime and a manga called Kaiji that's about a guy who is like stuck in. Um, this horrible cycle of trying to like gamble for his life. And like one of the ways people love reading Kaiji is asking like, well, how can Kaiji win? Right. And the point of any of these texts should never be like, how do you win? It's, it's the fact that like if squid game is to be understood as a subversive text, the, the point is that you can't win, right? Like it is an unwinnable situation unless you like reject the concept, but inevitably like in Fortnite, like in squid game, we ultimately sort of look at the concept and say like, Oh, here's how I could game the concept to win in this situation. Like, I think ultimately these are written with an anxiety about like in a, a post-capitalist future, but are always read with the understanding that it's a way to kind of succeed in, 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 in a uh, capitalist reality. Well, when you're talking about, I mean, in comparing the video game to uh, the novel or like, you know, like emerging narrative forms, whether yeah. it's like the, the novel the movie and now video games, each has come with this uh, attendant um, sort of moral panic about it leading to violence. I mean, who can forget the spate of suicides that rocked Europe after The Sorrows of Young Werther was published? It's true. You, so you know? kill, they, they, like, they totally blame Goethe for those suicides. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I would I would worry if my kid was picking up some some Goethe. Like, I, I hope he's reading about the optics and not Please the Please keep your children away from German romanticism. <laughs> A lesson that rings true even today. Well, I mean, I want to get into your chapter on uh, first-person shooters, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know, like, I mean, for our generation, it was it was Doom, it was Doom Two. Uh, that was it. That was like you, know, you could play it on your home uh, your home computer, just the keyboard, just the shotgun, the Gatling gun, the chainsaw. You're just tearing through these fucking demons. It was like you know, it was grisly, violent, gory. It was the game that parents were concerned about. They hated and then Colin yeah. and then Columbine happened, and they were like, oh, like like they were. These are murder simulators that are just training sociopaths to, like, you know, enact out in reality these, these, these violent mass murder fantasies. Right. How do we go from like, like the panic over Doom Two to now, like franchises like uh, Call of Duty, which are almost like uh, I don't know, like state approved in a way. Yeah. Like I, mean, like I mean, like so, like one of the things that I find so interesting about that, like that was my that was my favorite chapter to write because. There is this, like, I, I thought I had a hypothesis about how the chapter would go. And then when I did the research, like, it was borne out more than I could have hoped. Like, the Columbine thing was not the moment it turned, basically. It really was, like, 9-11, where things, like, shifted for first-person shooters. Um, but, like, Columbine was, like, a big deal for first-person shooters, as you say. Like, not just because they, like, resembled it, but because, like, um, you know, Eric Harris made columbine levels like they're you yeah. can still get them like they're they're you know they're sort of like on the hidden parts of the internet or whatever but like not really like you can just download his maps they're not even interesting like this i i felt like i felt again like like matt chrisman reading this where like i was like these are like not even exceptional maps like these are just like normal doom maps that this mass murderer made like what does that tell us about the the genre right um but like after 9-11 we get very soon after 9-11 we get Call of Duty, we get Medal of Honor, we get Battlefield, all genre, all like these these massive tentpole games. And some of them are right before uh, 9-11 too. Like I think Medal of Honor is 2000. Um, but right around there, uh, we get these tentpole military shooter games as well as these um, 
a little later, we get America's Army, right? And America's Army is like the perfect example of this for me. Like, I don't know if you guys remember America's Army. This was the this is the video game that was literally created by the Defense Department. Yeah, yeah. And there's like there's an interview that Polygon does with the guy who made it. And they're like, wow, so like, what do you think about this? Is this for recruiting? And he's like, well, I guess. Like, we want to like, we want to let people know what the army's all about. <laughs> and they'll be like, well, don't you like, is it, is it, do you, you like, do you bring in the horror of war? And he's like, well, you know, more or less, it, it's fine. But they're all about like, it's basically just a bunch of West Point people who majored in marketing uh, brought together to make a video game that makes recruiting uh, more palatable. And you'd think, Right. Like, oh, if you, you know, the, the sort of like naive uh, opinion here would be like, well, certainly if we're making more realistic shooters where people are more with people, not just demons, people are more realistically like gutted, killed, uh, torn apart. Like in the most recent Call of Duty multiplayer, there's a white phosphorus ultimate. Like it's like, you know, like <laughs> you can like drop white phosphorus on people. And as I say in the book, like the, the main complaint is from Call of Duty players who are like, this is like this isn't in the meta. Like, this isn't interesting. Like, you can't use the white phosphorus effectively in multiplayer. Um, no one cares. Like, literally, like, the, the Penny Arcade guys made fun of people who cared about America's Army being, like, uh, propaganda. People are like, you know what? It's well, yeah. cool. Because, like, you know, if you, if you have on one hand, like, the idea that, like, uh, it's absurd that Doom 2 led to uh, Columbine. Like, mm-hmm. you can't get uh, too concerned about the idea that Call of Duty will lead to, you know, a, a, a spike in military recruitment either. Because it's yes, like, it's totally. like, the, like the, these violent fantasies, like there's never like the, you, you have to choose. It's either all or nothing, whether you believe it's like a one to one fucking transfer from uh, like the virtual to the real world. Yeah, I think like I think the thing about so like the reason I focus on America's Army so much is like America's Army actually is this moment where people are like. Hey, look, we'll give this to you for free. Like the game was free. And they say like, be sure to think about the army when you play this. Right. Like that is like, that's a very clear sort of like consent manufacturing, right. Where it's like the only time the violence is okay is if it's American soldiers doing it, which is how you get like the more and more, like the bigger and bigger intensification of the, of the violence. Um, I think like there, there is a distinction where like the old first person shooters are these like, you know, like, weird fantasy violence right where like um i guess like i don't think anyone's gonna play call of duty and want to kill iraqis right like i I don't think that's true but i do think that there is an understanding of these games as recruitment simulators that people celebrate right instead of saying like that's kind of fucked up like don't make people go kill uh humans it's it's more like okay well that's like that's important we need soldiers right so like Let's 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 use these to glorify soldiers. And you get like people like, um, you know, like uh, the, the those weird uh, Christian media critique people on board with it, too. Um, and at that point, you get a shift right from like these are outsider there, games to, you know, this is. But is there any evidence that they're effective at recruiting people to the military? Because, I mean, isn't the military like hasn't their recruiting goals just been going down, down, down? I mean, they're like, uh, no, I mean, uh, they're, 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 they're letting nerds join the army. <laughs> <laughs> they're letting Lisa Simpson join the army. Um, no, like there's not. I, not that I can tell. And like ultimately, like I think to your point, as much as I don't really care that like, you know, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris like Doom and then shot up a school like that doesn't compute to me as like a correlation if people play call of duty and join the army again it's not a correlation it's much more like what's much more interesting to me about it is like the amount of leeway one is given think about it like this like um 
it's tough to market a show that is anti-cop, right? Like television that's anti-cop would be really hard to market um, outside of sort of like fringe, like uh, niche stuff. Uh, you have the shield, but the shield is, is, is winking, right? And something like the shield might not be as easy to produce today um, as it, as it was when it was produced, uh, of course, because of cancel culture. Um, Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but like <laughs> the, you know, like you can produce something called like FBI and you can have seven spinoffs of FBI all the time. Right. Because people just kind of like passively accept, like that's normal. That's like typical. That's, that's what we see in media. That's good. Those are like, you know, un uncontrovertibly good things. Um, what I find most interesting about like the, the shift in video games is like this understanding after nine 11, that a normal morality is to want to play a first person shooter where you kill like America's enemies. Right. It's it's the same thing we see in action movies. It's the same thing we see in sort of like state sanctioned violence and other media. It doesn't mean that it's effective at getting recruiting in, but it, it sort of changes the way that the media actually operates. Right. So you can have like, you know, Ronald Reagan or whatever saying he likes Rambo. Um, whereas he's not going to say that about, I don't know, gun crazy or whatever. Right. Yeah. And like, I mean, and, and it's this weird thing where like, uh, okay, if the violence, if, if the violence is, uh, shaded or there's a degree of remove through genre mm -hmm. like in doom like you're blowing away like some fucking like uh, some demon with like spite like robotic spider legs yeah, it's, and it's, it's like it's, it's like these things uh, they don't they don't exist in reality where right. but whereas if like <laughs> you you mentioned and i think one of the call of duty games is just like it's just a recreation of some like uh russian terrorist attack where they blew away like, <laughs> yeah yeah no, no, uh, no russian where you where yeah you yeah go you, you, you do that in the game where you just like blow away all these hostages in an airport and like was like that was based on a real incident you create a psyop yeah exactly and like at the end like, and it's like I think what's more affecting to me, and, and this is sort of, I guess, where it comes to the the question of like, and I, I don't ever really use the term manufactured consent in my in my daily life. I find it's like not super effective as like a, a concept anymore. It's like it's sort of like the term gaslighting, like people use it all the time. But in this case, like the idea of manufacturing consent kind of adds up because every time they talk to the developers, the developers are like, yeah, I had a hard time with that, man. Like that was that was a tough choice, but I felt it was necessary to show what our what 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 really happens on the geopolitical stage. And everyone uncritically accepts this, right? Like they're just like the violence was important because it showed us something. Whereas if you look at it, it's like it's not really that revealing. Like there's nothing going on. There's no there's no there there. There's more there when you're talking about doom because it's like it's imaginative, it's level design, it's sort of like, you know, engaging with the player at a different level. With no Russian, it's just like it's it's a it's the twist in a bond movie, um, just video game wise. Well, you bring it up. I mean, like, I don't, not not to plug our own shit, but um, you should always the, plug the, your own shit. The official Chapo Trap House video game Consent Factory Simulator will be available on Steam <laughs> this fall. <laughs> it's a, it's on my wish list already. For what it's worth, I mean, it's sort of an unofficial sequel to Dick Sucking Factory. And you guys knocked it out of the park with that one. I like, <laughs> I, I was, I was gutted when you said there wouldn't be a Dick Sucking Factory too. But like, I'm, I'm trusting the process now, so that's really good. All right. Well, uh. I got, I got to move on to uh, from Fortnite to uh, one of Felix's current obsessions. Uh, you, you have a whole chapter on the, the FromSoft universe, oh, the, yeah. the, the Dark Souls realm. We're talking Bloodborne. We're talking Demon Souls. But I just want to give you like, like, yeah, yeah. You, uh, uh, how, how does this relate to like what you, you describe as one of the, the most enervating uh, debates currently um, uh, vexing the video game community? The debate over easy mode. 
What, what, what yeah. is this debate? And, you know, like, well, what, are, what are the sides? What are the stakes here? Obviously, the stakes are uh, nothing. Yeah, but, the stakes are uh, zero. What, 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 are the, what are the sides here? It, what, what, is, what is this argument over easy mode in games? So, uh, essentially, when you're talking about easy mode in games, right, you're talking about people who grew up, or probably people around our age, who grew up with video games on, like, the Nintendo and, and then, the, you know, the, the earlier consoles where games were punishingly difficult. And often games are punishingly difficult for for very you know obvious uh, reasons, such as like the production was not as like rapid fire as it is today. Um, if you can get like a hundred hours out of you know Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers because it's just like brutal to play and like fun but like impossible, then like you you know no one's going to complain when the next Nintendo game is delayed, right? But like what people have taken is this difficulty as a sort of like. Uh, you know, a staple of like a fun thing, right? And made it into an identity, which is like ultimately like, you know, the the difficulty is the point, right? Um, and with FromSoft games, this becomes like a huge deal because part of the thematic element of, of the Souls games particularly is that they're really hard. Like it's tough to get through it. And like dying over and over and over again sort of ends up being um, honestly like an explicit thematic point, Right. Um, it's hard to tell the story in Dark Souls without your character having to die, you know, over and over and over again, because it's sort of like it embeds the thematic for you. Um, <clears throat> but as people point out, like difficulty is uh, some people argue it's 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 an issue of like ability and like you're, you're gatekeeping it from some people. Um, I uh, I think you would you would be hard pressed to find a better uh, rejection of that claim than uh, Dia Lucina's and Paste. Like, I mean, she just kind of ripped that apart and it's not really about ability like you know disability whatever is not why video games are difficult um it ends up being basically this question of should we make games easier so people who just want to play them without any sort of knowledge of what they are um make it so that they could do it um and you can think about it like what's funny is like it ends up again mirroring a bunch of artistic arguments um hard to do in visual art but like uh think about it in film right like in 1995 uh, or so when Steven Spielberg uh, brings digital editing to the uh, blockbuster with Jurassic Park, you get these sort of like, you get this sort of like ongoing critique of like, is it bad to do digital editing because it's easier, right? Or is it, is there an actual artistic difference? Is that, can, can you, can you make a real film doing it this way? Or is it, a, is it some sort of fake film, right? Uh, or take, take like, go back to Chaucer, right? Like Chaucer writes in vulgar English in the 13th century. Um, and he's not writing in Latin and people are like, well, now anyone can understand it. Like, it's not good. Like this question about access, right? Like access, not in terms of ability or disability, but in terms of like interest, right? Like someone on the street picking up a Dark Souls game, should they be able to, or should they not be able to, you know, it's, it's an, it's an, as you say, enervating uh, discussion. Cause it's like pointless, right? Like the stakes of it are completely non-existent. And ultimately I think like for any medium that starts arguing about this, it's the it's the point at which you have to kind of tip the scales and say, like, OK, I'm not going to worry about the material process of making this thing anymore as much as I am going to worry about what it's actually saying. Like, it, it's, it's the point at which and I don't know if video games are going to be able to do this or not, but it's the point at which you tip from being like, OK, like I am I'm making this as a craftsman. And so, like, there have to be like six things uh, in this movie to make it a film to, okay, this is a film. I'm taking it as a film, regardless of if these six things are here and I'm going to judge it as such. Like no one's asking, like, I know like everyone's favorite darling of the last like 10 years is first reformed. No one's asking if first reformed is like, 
you know, well, how do they edit it? Like, what are, you know, what are the, how did, what were the, did they, did they film it in like, you know, this particular film is, is it, is it used based on this particular thing? Did they, did they like, did they set it in this particular way? It's understood as like an artistic unity that you kind of judge on its own merits. Um, that happens after you hash out the, the problems of craftsmen and people who think that they have the, uh, the right to be craftsmen because they've played enough games, right? Or watched enough movies or read enough books. Well, I mean, uh, well, the one thing uh, I, I do appreciate about the, uh, the, the Dark Souls universe that you talk about in your chapter on it is that, like, in, in, the, in, the, in the universe that the, the player inhabits, it's very clear that, like, the, the, the world that you are sort of born undead into is one that's already died. Right. And that, like, the, the, the lore of, like, how it came to be this way, how the world became to be dead or where it's going, is parceled out in a very vague and ambiguous way. But it is one, nonetheless one in which you are forced to make decisions about what happens in that world. And it's this, right. like... There's a certain existential quality to like not really understanding the world that you're in, and then being basically like uh, being born and dying like infinitely in, into this world of a very like uh, a very vague means and like uh, vague motives and like but but there's just enough to keep you interested. But like I, I like the, the the purposeful like ambiguity. And, mm-hmm. and and just like there's there's nothing really clear about why any of this is happening, but it's just like uh, you you have to exist in it and you have to die in it. Yeah, I mean, there's like uh you know I, I think I say this in the book, but and like it's it's maybe my least um, confident claim, but like I, I, there's like a Paquettian style uh, uh, to to Dark Souls with like you know the fail 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 again or like I'll you know I I, I can't go on I'll go on. Um, the idea of just like. Um, uh, continuing for the sake of continuing with no expectation of progress. Um, like I would say the most uh, emancipating ending of any dark souls games is when you just like end the world, right? Like if you, you basically get the choice to end the world or have it continue on as it stands. Um, and no, there's no like politics baked into it really. I mean, you can view it as a political decision if you wanted to, but like the games themselves don't really encourage that it is. It's like highly, it's much more sort of emotive in the sense that say like a, um, like a, uh, a myth would be or something like that, where like there's big figures who in many cases have existed long before you and have died since. Right. I, I, when I had Felix on the podcast last, he, uh, he and I talked about like whether or not this one character, um, uh, was the son of another character probably for like 15 minutes. Right. Like it, it's these, like these questions that are ultimately completely irrelevant to the actual gameplay and like only side, like like only like vaguely relevant to the actual storyline that help people obsess over them. And as a result, you get this sort of like balance of the, of the, or, or dialectic, I guess, of the small and the big, right. Where these, these micro moments, um, these small characters you meet then sort of like are subsumed into the, the larger uh, cosmology of the, of the universe. And like that in and of itself is an existential problem where you're just like, Oh God, like, Nothing I do is going to matter, but ultimately this final act that I'm going to do, I'm, 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 you know, I'm set into the play. You're basically, you're basically in, in dark souls. And I, I don't make this claim in the book, but it's true. Um, you're basically Fortinbras at the end of Hamlet. Like you're, you're just brought into the play and you're like, okay, I'll end it. Like it's over. Like I'm going to make the last move here. I'm taking (laughs) over Denmark or I'm like shutting off the flame or whatever. Like, and, and your reasons for doing so can never be fully informed. And that's, what's so good about those games. And ultimately like 
that's true in the lore, even if it, even if the difficulty is lessened. You're never going to know more just by dying a lot. Well, uh, to round things out here today, uh, I have a uh, I have a Twitter thread that absolutely baffled me earlier in this week, and I was hoping that uh, Trevor, video game expert, you could help um, unpack what's really going on here. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, this pull is, it up. Yeah, this is by a gentleman. Uh, I'm just gonna read you their Twitter bio. It says here, uh, "Protecting what is mine." PhD student in philosophy and history, true classical liberal, center left, pro beauty, pro freedom, anti bullying, anti feminism, anti SJW. Okay. Um, and then if you go to their, if you actually click through their thread, it's mostly just retweets of anime girls. So I mean, it, I mean, it did advertise itself as being pro beauty. So, uh, but let's just get into it. it uh, it says here, I was thinking about why so many in the radical left participate in speed running. The reason is the left's lack of work ethic, go fast rather than do it right. And in a Petersonian sense, he means Jordan Peterson, in a, in a Jordan Petersonian sense, <laughs> to elevate alternative sexual archetypes are in the marketplace, i.e. fastest Mario. Okay, that's the first tweet. And I just, okay, where do you want to begin? Uh, so speed running. Uh, the speed running, okay. for those who are not aware, is, is, it's, it's like uh, you, you get on Twitch, you do a YouTube, and it's like, how do you complete either a level of a video game or the entire video game itself Correct. as fast as possible using certain tricks, shortcuts? Like, it's just, you're not trying to defeat every enemy. You're just trying to, like, on just pure time, yeah. literally run through an entire video game as fast as possible. Right. Now, it's, its, own, it's, its, own, it's its own sort of way of playing the game. Like, it, it, it ignores any other way of, like, Structuring it, there's a great video if anyone's interested in it uh, by Carl Jobst about uh, speedrunning the first Doom level, uh, uh, which is like a 20 minute level, a 20 minute video about an eight second run, and it's amazing. It's like perfect. Um, but the yeah, it's all about like okay, so like you figure out that if you cut this corner at exactly the right time, you can shave a tenth of a second off. It's it's basically just like. Um, it's obsessive pruning. Yeah, I mean, it seems, uh, but it says like the the reason is the less left's lack of work ethic. But I mean, like that seems odd to me because like to speed run with any uh, any real uh, talent or to actually like uh, break a record, it seems insanely difficult. You have to be so mind breakingly, like mind breakingly <laughs> fucking strenuous. It's like Unbelievable, a, yeah. You know, it's like playing a piano concerto. Like if you miss one fucking uh, key, like you're gonna the whole thing's fucking blown. No matter how right. many hours you've invested into it. Yeah, um, you see like, people screw up speed runs. I mean, if you've ever like, if you ever watch any of them, I'm not a, an avid consumer of it, but like I watch it when I can. And like, if you watch, you'll see people in like two hours in they're they're like approaching a world record and they'll miss a jump and they'll be like, well, I guess that's it. Like, I guess I'm not going to do it. It's like, jeez. And this idea of like a, a lack of work ethic, go fast rather than do it right, seems odd to me because in video games, there is no real way to do it right. If Correct. you beat the game, you beat the game. It doesn't matter how many fucking like shortcuts you took to get there. I mean, like, and especially when in this case, the shortcuts make the playing the game actually vastly more difficult. Right. Um, but but I, when it gets into this, to elevate sexual archetypes in the marketplace, <laughs> i.e. fastest Mario. I read I this just, thread so many times. Um just trying to figure out if it was a joke because the idea of a sexual archetype called fastest Mario is um, like, <laughs> like the funniest sort of like a uh, reference to Mario I've seen in, in a very long time. Like the whole like while Luigi year of Luigi thing made the whole Mario stuff very unfunny to me. And then uh, fastest Mario as a sexual archetype, like brought it all back. It was like, it was the Renaissance for me. Uh, it says here, uh, obviously there are exceptions to this and some people more in the center or right also speed run. However, they are more than sufficient to prove the rule rather than contrast it. Consider how woke GDQ has been almost since the very beginning. Your eyes will start to open. 
Returning to the topic of the work ethic, a speedrunner may well spend hours a day at their craft, but this is ultimately a meaningless exercise since they will ultimately accomplish exactly what is done in less collective time by a casual player. This is thus a waste of effort on behalf of the speedrunner. Put more simply, they're spending their work effort on something that someone else has already done and done in a way deemed correct by the creator of the artwork. Why do they do this? The answer is quite obvious if you think about it. The goal is the illusion of speed and the desire, subconscious in parentheses, to promote radical leftist, borderline communist ideals of how easy work is. Everyone always say that speedruns look easy. That is part of the aesthetic. Think about the phrase fully automated luxury communism in the context of speedrunning, and I strongly suspect that things will start to click in your mind. Is anything clicking in, uh, in your minds yet? No, I, 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 one thing that's clicking in my mind is that this guy really is like, has ideas about what, what counts as work that, uh, the very much baffle me. Like, I, I don't know if any speedrunner would tell you what they're doing is labor. And I mean, it's also like, uh, like speedrunning is working in the wrong way. It's working fast rather than smart. But like, uh, there, in no point is playing video games work. No, like, or, or it's not labor in any in any sense. Uh, no, absolutely not. And like, this is the, you know, this was something that came up. Um, I won't put the person on blast here, but there was someone who was complaint who who sort of made a a comparison between making a ten hour video about video games and stocking supermarket shelves, right? And said like, making the video was so much harder than stocking supermarket shelves. And like it got a ton of blowback uh, necessarily uh, because that's a, a crazy thing to say. But like in part, I think this like the blowback comes from the fact that like no one is thinking that your video on like, you know, Mario or your playthrough of Mario or whatever is like productive labor, even the people producing it. Like, why would you why would you assume it's productive labor? It's it's in the same way that like watching a movie is not productive labor. It doesn't have but to be. if you slow are down, putting slow down, your slow down. If you're putting your speed run on YouTube and enough people watch it that you get ad revenue, does that make it labor? Well, well, I mean, can't knock the hustle. If you're getting paid, getting well, paid. it is a hustle. It's a hustle. I don't know. Like, I think, do you, so here's the question uh, and I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Like, do you think, and we, we both make one. So like, this is not throwing any shade at you at all or any, or throwing any rocks in my own glass house um, is making a podcast labor. It certainly doesn't feel like it. Well, yeah, that's why that's why people want to do it because it's mon- it's work that is not work, right? It's but it's productive of money, right? Which I right. think, like on some level, there's an elision that's happening a lot in culture where we assume something that's productive of money counts as labor, um, which maybe it does. But and I this think, is like, why at, the future certain- really does lie with Grimes's vision of a <laughs> video game based UBI. Everybody made fun of her for saying that, but I think that honestly does make sense as the way to do it because it's very Keynesian because yeah, you can't just give the, because people say, Oh, give people money. They'll go crazy as we give people money that they gain through video gaming, like give them money based on the grinding that they would do in a video game that keeps them occupied and keeps a roof over their head and keeps them consuming. So Grimes's idea is that like a, a UBI would be administered and like your UBI check at the end of the month would be based on like, you know, the stats you've just grinded out in a in a video game. I, I think the the other the third leg of the stool is uh, the blockchain. And the idea oh, is, course, is that the work that you're doing with the video game, it's not just to show you're doing work. It's doing the function that like the Bitcoin mining rigs are doing right now. So you're yeah. authenticating the f- blockchain 
through your participation in the video games, thus creating the coins that you can then get as your UBI. But so, I mean, this is like the whole thing, though, right? Where like if we're talking about blockchain as a way of creating real value, right? And I, I know that like I'm not arguing with you about this. Like the idea of value has to be like then questioned, right? Like what do we what do we mean then? Like what is production? What is value? What is labor? And, and like. I think at a certain point when you're reading a thread like this, it shows that the person hasn't ever thought about that. Like the idea of, does it put money into my bank account? Then it's labor or work. Um, Like maybe that's true, but then you also have to like, it's not classical labor. It's not classical work. It's not classical value, right? It's not classical money. Uh, You have to start like really uh, disconnecting those things from what you understand them as. Now I'm just uh, I'm like if, if this guy's a fake post, I'm just looking at his account here, and it seems like he has really committed to the bit. Um, but I'll just I'll go on here. It says here now as to the sexual archetype model and speed running generally. If any of you have any passing familiarity with Jordan Peterson's broader oeuvre and and of Jungian psychology, which of course you we like, all do, you likely already know where I'm going with this. <laughs> However, I will say for the uninitiated, keep this passage from Maps of Meaning in mind. The archetypal son continually reconstructs defined territory as a consequence of the assimilation of the unknown as a consequence of incestuous, that is, sexual, read creative union with the great mother. In other words, there is a connection between sexuality and creativity that we see throughout time, as Peterson points out with... Uh, as Peterson points out in other examples, in the sexual marketplace, (laughs) which archetypes are simultaneously deemed the most creative and valued the highest, the answer is obviously entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and others. Given that we evolved and each thing we do must have an evolutionary purpose or cause, what archetype is the speedrunner engaged in? Who is accomplishing nothing new? They are aiming to make a new sexual archetype based upon speed rather than doing things right and refuse ownership of what few innovations they can provide their own to their own scene, denying creativity within their very own sexual archetype. This is necessarily leftist. The obvious protest to the, this would be the glitchless 100% run, which it's in many ways protest, yeah. does aim to play the game as intended, but seems to simply add the element of speed to the equation. This objection is ultimately meaningless when one considers how long a game is intended to be played. I mean, like my... Uh, sorry, my, I just like I, I I'm reading words here, but like I just it's there's no talk about maps. I need I need a map of meaning for this fucking thread here. Yeah, so like I I think like this is this this goes right into what what Matt was saying about like you know like the the blockchain being part of the video game that you play to to do UBI and everyone makes fun of it, but in fact like this is something that could plausibly like work for a lot of people in the world. Like ultimately like this guy is doing the Peterson, the Jordan Peterson thing of like doing the very, you know, trying to be like, um, like, uh, I, I don't know, like Thomas Carlyle or something like that, like some sort of classic, uh, man of letters or something. And it does the thing where he says like, you know, um, uh, everything we do has to be based on evolution, which like that can't possibly be right. Like at this point in human existence, like, it's like can't possibly. Well, yeah, I mean, true. but it's a it, it's a meaningless context. It's a meaningless concept with a with conscious beings. I mean, right. we are like evolution has been transcended by human civilization. Yeah, I can it, do whatever it, I want. It, it doesn't like, like, like I, my survival is guaranteed in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, like we've redefined the natural world and, and natural feedbacks. And pretend and like if you want it, to, if you want everything to be about evolution, then you have to dissolve all of those social bonds completely so that nature can actually impact things, <laughs> which it does not do right now. Correct. 
And I think the other thing, like where, where he talks about, like where he does the thing with the hundred percent glitchless run, which uh, for, for, for the interest of giving, ma- uh, giving Will a map, um, that is like basically the idea there is you're doing everything in the game without uh, employing any sort of like z- zero damage, like zero hits. Yeah. Or like, or like, you know, like there's, there's ways of beating uh, N64 games that rely on the fact that someone found a glitch that saves you, you know, 13 minutes or something like that. Right. Um, you say like, I'm not using that. I'm going to use the other stuff. And they're, they're two different like categories of speed run. So it's pretty interesting. But the, the, the funny thing about this, right. Where he says like, it's ultimately meaningless when one considers how long a game is intended to be played, even when under there is still time and effort wasted for no other reason than the ones I proposed above, which is like the idea here is like that time and effort isn't wasted when you're playing it the first time through. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I'm playing Mario and like, yeah. this is very useful time for me, right? Like it can be cathartic. It can be interesting. It can like give you something. It can give you nothing. It can make you zone out. Right. That is literally the exact same thing speedrunning does. And so, like, this view of the world, right? Like, whether or not it's a fake post or not, it does represent this real understanding of the world that everything one does has to be boiled down into, like, what am I doing to, you know, build my evolutionary grind to become, like, uh, pheromonally perfect for the ladies, right? Like, how, how, can I, how can I pass on my seed when I need to play Silent Hill two times? And, like, it's, it's, it's just, it's a bizarre thing. And, like, I think brought to maybe its most like absurd instance that I've seen here. Bringing my partner to triple digit orgasm speed run. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, shit. I mean, if again, if you get to the end of the game, it doesn't, doesn't matter how long it took you to do it. You know, this is also also accomplished. This is also the, the evolution of the never rewatch movies guy, right? Like never rewatch movies, never reread a book. Cause it's a waste of time. Cause you've done it once already. Right. Mm-hmm. Like not, not even to say like, if you play through a video game twice, like let's even take like a game that is like un, uh, undeniably sort of like, you know, not meaningful from its plot perspective. Like the first Mario, you can play through it once. And then maybe you're just like, Oh, that was fun. I'd like to do that again. Or like, I'd like to do it better. Or I want to revisit it. Right. Those are all perfectly valid reasons to like engage with culture. And like, you know you how many times to... I had to see the original Mission Impossible movie to understand what was going on in it? <laughs> it's it's that and um, and Stalker, the Tartowski Stalker. Those are the two that are the hardest to understand in cinema I'm to understand. Um, they were trying to find the knock list in the in the stalking zone. At least as I understand it. <laughs> um, but uh, at the end here, it says, by now, I am sure I have bothered a number of you and rustled quite a few of your feathers. <laughs> I'm not saying that speed running is bad, but rather that thinking about the topic philosophically, that there are dangerous elements within it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about anything philosophically, I think you can discover dangerous elements. Um, uh, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I would uh, tweeting. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Po- po- yeah. Posting, on, posting on a social media site. Doing if this is like if this person actually is a PhD student in philosophy and history and they did a fifteen tweet thread, like I, I would if I could find that as their advisor, I would say here's a dangerous thing that you're doing: not finishing your coursework. Like, like not, aren't you? Shouldn't you be writing your dissertation instead of this fourteen tweet thread about like video games and the left? Tell me more about Husserl. Oh, yeah, there's the uh, there's there's the speed there's the speed running thread uh, for you. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, Metal Gear Solid, but we got to wrap it up for today. Uh, Trevor Strunk, uh, the book is Story Mode. Uh, if people would like to uh, purchase or read Story Mode, where should they go? 
They can go anywhere. Uh, you could go to the uh, the Evil Empire and buy it off of Amazon. Um, I know that's not uh, the the most popular way to do it, but if you're out of the country, out it's of, literally out of the, country, the most popular way to do it. Well, yeah, among <laughs> among not, like the among the it, seventy it, people we always hear from, it's not the most popular yeah. way to do it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, like, uh, you know, you 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 will ruffle the feathers of of a few folks, but if you're out of the country of the United States, it is the best way to get it. I find um, that's the easiest way to get it. Uh, via Amazon, uh, but it's also available on all the other things. You can order it from your local bookstore. You can uh, you can ask your library to get it if you'd rather do that. You can um, get it on bookshop.org or any any of those places. Um, just Google uh, story mode strunk uh, or story mode uh, video games. I think like typically if you just look up story mode, there's a there's a Minecraft book before it, and then uh, and then it's my book. So don't buy, or do buy the Minecraft book, but also my buy, buy my book too. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's everywhere, um, and it releases, it ships on the 15th, so you'll get it uh, probably by, like, March or so, based on how shipping goes. Um, just, just kidding. It should probably be there by the end of November. Trevor Strunk, the book is Story Mode. The podcast is No Cartridge. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Absolutely. Read the, read the Metal Gear chapter. You'll know what Felix is talking about. Will is absolutely correct. Cheers, guys. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.